If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Luke, chapter 2. Luke, chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, we're going to read verses 1 through 7. When you get there, would you stand in honor of his word this morning? Now in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. And while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the end. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for this wonderful gift that we celebrate at Christmas. The gift of Jesus. Lord, we are blessed people. You bless us in so many ways from the clean water that we have to drink to the food that we have to enjoy to the families that we get to spend time with, but no greater blessing has been given than that you would give your son. So today, Lord, we want to honor you and worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Miss Susie, beautiful song. Wow. You start thinking about all of the aspects of Christmas. We've been talking about unwrapping Christmas and getting away from all the, just the stuff. And all of you I know are right now in the bog down in the middle of the stuff of Christmas, right? So you you probably, hopefully you have most of your shopping done. If not, if you have Amazon Prime, like today is the last day. I mean, you're like on the edge, on the verge. Husbands, don't, don't be one of those guys in, in the mall on Christmas Eve trying to figure out what you're going to get your wife. That's not going to be a good place to be. We have all the parties. We had the big Sunday school class party at our house last weekend for our Sunday school class, and 33, 34 people showed up, which was awesome. Y'all left a big mess. No, just kidding. Uh, we had a great time together. We enjoyed a wonderful time together. Other classes have had parties and have events going on. You probably have had things at work and you've got family coming over. I overheard Ron and Diane talking to somebody about Christmas Eve and how they're always the last people to arrive at their Christmas Eve party at their own home. (laughs) And so there's all kinds of things that are happening in this time of year. And if we're not careful, we really do lose sight of Christmas. And so the first video was actually produced by a church in Charlotte that I saw the video, and I was like, we have to show that. That's really good, you know. Um, And then I didn't know we were going to have a power problem, but the idea that the lights came on and off. Y'all may not have known this, but we had no power at the church this morning when I got here. And so Brother Marvin and Miss Donna went home and got a generator. We were going to go old-fashioned in here this morning. 
Um, but God still provided. And so all of these things that, that occupy us and that tie us up at Christmas, we lose sight of how blessed we are all the time. And so I don't want that to happen to us this year. It's been my goal each time that we've, I've spoken this month about this idea of Christmas is that somehow we would get in our minds and in our hearts an understanding that this is not just a gift-giving time. This is not just an exchange of, of presents. This isn't just a time where we all go in debt to buy things that, for people that we don't like that they probably will never use. Okay? That's not what Christmas is about. Christmas is about something much, much greater. Christmas is about a young woman in a, in a stable with a baby who God had said he would send for hundreds and thousands or even thousands of years. And, and those people who had heard that testimony, heard that promise, now in their midst, it was being fulfilled. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, has come. And today, as we prepare to celebrate Christmas, I want you to all understand, young people, old people, and everyone in between, you decide if you're young or old, okay? Not labeling anybody this morning. What is it, wherever you fall in that, I want you to decide this morning that the wonderful gift that you're going to celebrate this year is the gift of Jesus. Because sometimes it's the only gift. It's the only gift that we can think about. It's the only gift that really means something to us in the moment. It's the only gift that may matter. We may not get the other things that you want. Kids, I have some bad news for you. Everything that was on your wish list is not going to be under the tree. How do I know that? Because I'm still waiting on a Ferrari. No, just kidding. <laughs> I know that because this world doesn't supply all of our desires, all of our dreams. Not every dream gets to come true here. But there are some promises that God made that did come true. And we're going to celebrate that. Now, I do want to say it's not wrong to give gifts. Okay? And so I don't want to, I don't want to be that, that pastor that throws the cold blanket over everybody and says, oh, giving gifts is all wrong and you shouldn't do that because it's just, no, I don't want to be that way. But I do want to tell you that that's not really what it's all about. And I got caught up in gifts. I get caught up in gifts. I remember as a kid, Dr. Bennett, I had a, a funny story I'm going to share this morning. Made me, makes me think of you now that you're here. And so we had a, our family, my mom's family was pretty big. And so we didn't try and buy presents for everybody. So we drew names. Anybody do that? You draw names in your family? And, and we drew Uncle Bub's name. Now, I have to tell you, Uncle Bub is actually Uncle Rudy. But we called him Uncle Bub because I had a grandpa whose name was Rudy I had a dad whose name was Rudy, and I had a brother whose name was Rudy, and I had an uncle whose name was Rudy. So we had Grandpa, we had Dad, we had Junior, and we had Uncle Bub. And so Uncle Bub, we drew his name, and Uncle Bub was this... How do I describe Uncle Bub? He may watch this. I better be careful. <laughs> uncle Bub was a firefighter. Okay, so that'll give you your first hint. Uncle Bub was a boxer. He actually was a professional boxer at one point. Uncle Bub was about 5'9 and about 125 pounds. So I don't know what class that fell in, but I think it was well below heavyweight, Brother Phil. He was a bricklayer on the side. When he wasn't fighting fires or boxing, he was building chimneys and laying foundations and, and building things uh, on homes with bricks. 
He was a hunter. He loves to hunt. And he's still alive. I keep talking about what he was. He is. He's a hunter. He loves to hunt. And so he likes to deer hunt. He likes to fish. He's got a pond that he dug on his own property. And he used the dirt to build up to build his house because in the swamp you have to do that. And so he's fishing his own, on his own pond. Uncle Bub was the kind of guy that if he wanted to do something, he just went and did it. You, anybody know that person? He's also the kind of guy that if he needed something, he went and got it. All right? Now, get all that in your mind and think about what it's like to get his name on Christmas. What do you buy that guy? You know, a new pair of cam camos? I don't know. So my mom, in her wisdom, thought, well, every man carries something every day. Guys, what do you carry every day? See, y'all knew. And so she decided to get him a wallet. Well, I'm about four years old. And so we're celebrating Christmas, and we're all ready to get to open in the presents. And I walk in, and I said, Uncle Bub, I'm not going to tell you what you got for Christmas. But it's brown, and you put money in it. You think I gave it away? See? Yeah, probably so. The challenge of finding the perfect gift is hard. Um, I know my, my wife and children, you know, they, t so they say that about me, because if I need something, I go and get what I need. And so what do you get when somebody doesn't really... Well, what do you get when you really have a need that you don't even know you have? The gift of Jesus. It's the greatest gift we could ever receive and the greatest gift we could ever give. And so I want to talk about that some this morning. This challenge of finding the perfect gift that God fulfilled for us. And one of the fun things, Dr. Bennett, about giving gifts is trying to make them guess what it is. And I didn't know that at four years old. Okay, James, when I said, when I said what I said, I probably said way too many clues at one time, right? You probably need to say, well, maybe shouldn't say all of them at one time, right, Corey? Just maybe should have said it's brown. That could have been anything, right? If I said you put money in it, it could have been your wife's purse. <laughs> I don't know. Um, your, kid's, your kid's bank account, right? Um, and so I, I, I could have been a little more circumspect in some of the clues that I gave, but I, I wasn't. God wasn't either. God wanted his people to know what the gift was going to be. If you read from the very beginning of Scripture in the book of Genesis chapter 3, you see that God had promised that he was going to send a Messiah all the way back in chapter 3 of Genesis. Man sins, God pronounces judgment, and he says that's not the end of the story. Then you keep going and you read through Scriptures and you see over and over and over your first clue in your handout today, you see a trail of clues in Scripture. Wow, that's kind of hard. Is that easier up here, right? Yeah. You see a, tri a trail of clues in Scripture. God kind of like Goldilocks. Wasn't it Goldilocks that dropped the... Hansel and Gretel. Hansel and Gretel. See, I'm so, I'm so old, I don't even remember my fairy tales. Hansel and Gretel, she dropped the breadcrumbs and left the trail. Y'all remember reading that? And so God kind of did that for us. He kind of left a breadcrumb trail for us along the way so that we could start at the beginning and find all the way through His Scriptures a promise that he would send his son, a trail of clues for us, a trail that would help us to understand who the Messiah would be. Because, I mean, after all, after you get about above about six or seven people, it kind of gets difficult to figure out who it's going to be, right? I mean, you think from the time of creation with Adam and Eve to now the time of Christ is somewhere probably around 6,000 years. The population of the earth has greatly expanded. And in theory... 
any one of those 6,000 could have been potentially, unless God had shown us some way, identified as the Messiah. But God wanted to make sure that we didn't miss out on the gift that he was giving. And so he left kind of this trail of clues. And so we're going to talk about some of that in the beginning part of the message this morning as we think about the wonderful gift of Jesus at Christmas. So in the trail of clues along the way, the first one that we're going to look at is that Jesus was going to be of Jewish descent. If you read all the way back in Genesis chapter 22, we find out that he's going to come from the seed of Abraham. He's going to be from that very beginning. So now you take all of the nations of the world, all of the other peoples that existed at the time of Abraham, and now everyone who is not a descendant of Abraham is disqualified. Okay? So I won't ask you today because you can't prove you're a descendant of Abraham. But if you in this room today were not a descendant of Abraham, there was no way you were going to be part of the line of, of, Dave, of uh, the Messiah. And we see that fulfilled in Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. We won't read all these scriptures this morning because it would take us forever. And y'all probably are going to want to eat before we're done uh, with that. And so Matthew chapter 1 lists the genealogy of Christ from the perspective of Joseph's side of the family. You realize Joseph is not Jesus' earthly father or, or like physical father. Joseph raised Jesus, but God is his heavenly father and his physical father in that respect. And so Joseph's testimony, or Joseph's lineage, shows that he was a child of Abraham. He goes all the way back and traces that. So that's a very important thing. So one of the first clues of all, not only is God going to send a Messiah, but out of all of the peoples of the earth, it's going to be a descendant of Abraham. He's going to be of Jewish descent. And later, he's going to come from Jacob. So now, you have Abraham, you have Isaac, you have Jacob. Now Jacob is going to be in the line of Christ. And so now, all of the others that are possible, Abraham had Ishmael, and that's not in the line. And so you have all this, this whole other list of people. They're all excluded. Now you know we're coming from Jacob. That's found in Numbers 24. Then it goes on. It says he's going to be descendant from Jesse. Well, who's Jesse? Well, Jesse was this shepherd man way back in the day. The nation of Israel has kind of begun to, to grow and is, is having its, its time, and, and they've got a king, and, and Jesse's there, and he's probably a shepherd in all likelihood. And Jesse has a son, and Jesse's name is David. King David. We all know King David who fought the giant. We know King David who, who was the mighty king of Israel, the man after God's own heart. So all of Jesse's other children, they're now they're, they're no longer in the, in the line. His grandfather, rather. All of them are no longer in the line. So now you have David. So David is here. And so we know that Jesus is going to be a descendant. The Messiah is going to be a descendant of David. Again, if you go back and you look in Matthew chapter 1, verse 17, you find all of these things line by line. The genealogy matters, by the way. That passage, y'all, you know, the begats, we skip over it. But it matters because it explains to us who Jesus was going to be. His fulfillment of Scripture. God continues. He wants it to be as clear as he can make it for us. So not only is he going to be a, of Jewish descent from Jacob, from Jesse, from David, but he's also going to be born in a special place. And not just any place. He could have said he's going to be born in Rome. I mean, if you were going to have a king born at that time, you would have had a king born in Rome. I mean, Rome was the city. It was like, if you're going to have a king today, where would you want the king to be born? Probably not Pumpkin Center, right? But if you compare Bethlehem, as I said last week, to a city that we would be familiar with, it would probably be very familiar with, or very similar to Pumpkin Center. 
just a small hamlet in the side of the road. I've been near it. I haven't been to it. But as we stood in Jerusalem on the Mount of Olives, looking down into Jerusalem, you can see off in the distance a little ways over there, Bethlehem. Just a little city. Just, it, just little as village. Just there. Not, nothing impressive. Nothing important. In fact, it was not something you would have even noticed. The only thing that we really knew about it is, is that it was a, a house of bread. <laughs> Jesus would later be called the bread of life. How amazing is that? He was born in Bethlehem. That was foretold in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. And we just read the passage here in Luke chapter 2 that Jesus went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called what? Bethlehem. And that's where Jesus would be born. Well, he wants it to make it even more clear to us because there was more than one baby born in Bethlehem. There was even more than one baby born during that time in Bethlehem. So it could have been any of the mom's babies, right? Well, no, not really, because he narrows it down even further in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. He says, not just any woman, but a specific woman. And that woman would be one who was a virgin. In other words, she had not been with her husband, had never been with a man before. If you don't understand that, kids, talk to your parents. I'm not going to go into that today. But this baby was going to be born to a virgin. All right? And so there's only a very limited number now of people that are going to make that possible. And only one of them is ever actually going to happen. And so now we see the situation in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. We looked at it last week. This woman, this young girl, probably 12, 13, 14 years old, comes up pregnant, and she's a virgin. And she's had an encounter with an angel who's explained to her that she is with child by the Holy Spirit of God. God has implanted within her womb the very Son of God. A baby growing inside of her came directly from God. Well, that kind of narrows it down a little bit, Willie. I don't know of any other immaculate conceptions. I know there's some that complained that uh, claimed it, but none of them could ever establish it. Born to a virgin. Well, now let's make it even more difficult. Not only was he uh, from the Jewish descent, from Jacob and Jesse and David, born in Bethlehem, born to a virgin, but he would be worshipped by shepherds. Shepherds? Well, that doesn't seem like a common thing to think of. I mean, when I would think about people that are going to come worship the king, I would think about the important people, right? The politicians, the leaders, the business leaders, the religious leaders, the synagogue leaders. Those are the ones who should come and worship the king, right? I mean, after all, he is the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He is the great I am. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He is Jesus, the Lord saves. He has come to live among us. The big important people are the ones that we ought to be celebrating coming, right? I mean, you would think that even the president would go and see a child like this, wouldn't you? But no. Scriptures foretell in Psalm chapter 72 that shepherds would come. Imagine that. Shepherds would come. Shepherds were not exceptional people. There were a lot of shepherds all over the place. They were not even people that fit in the country club scene. In fact, they were considered dirty and unclean, and they were not allowed to be around people that, that were ceremonially clean. They were kind of the outsiders, they were kind of like us, you know, just the rest of the folk. And those shepherds would come and they would celebrate the birth of Jesus. And God foretold that. Well, not just them. He did send some kings. In Psalm 72, it says that he sent foreign kings that came. The magi, the, the wise men, the three wise guys that showed up. They all came to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. And we think of that and we think, how awesome is that? They brought gold and silver and frankincense, right? No. 
gold and silver and myrrh and frankincense, gold and myrrh and frankincense. They brought these wonderful gifts to Jesus, right? They brought them to lay them down at Jesus' feet. How wonderful, how amazing is that? We don't think about the fact it's a fulfillment of Scripture. It's a direct prophetic fulfillment that God gave. This little baby, this child born in Bethlehem to this young woman who was a virgin, that God established that by sending an angel to prove it to both her and to her husband, this same little girl now has shepherds who have come to worship this baby and has kings who have come to worship this baby. The outsiders and the insiders all at the same place at the foot of this child. Now we're really limiting this. We're bringing this down to a very small group of people. Well, now, when did this happen? When could this have happened? Because theoretically, there could have been another baby born in Bethlehem that shepherds and kings had visited. But there's another passage in Scripture that's interesting. We talked about this some last week. In Jeremiah 31, 15, it says that Herod was going to, or that eventually the babies in Bethlehem were going to be killed. And we know that Herod, out of his jealousy and in his fit of rage, that the king had been born and the wise men had not come and told him where they were. Herod had all the babies, two years old and younger, killed. And so we know when that took place. So now we've narrowed it down even further to a time frame that's confirmed by that. Well, let's go even further. Now, now the scriptures tell us that for a little while, Jesus is going to live temporarily, or the Messiah would live temporarily in Egypt in Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. And so you see, now we've, we've gone from this anybody to just Jewish descent, to just of this one group of the family, to just of the smaller group, to the smaller group, to the smaller group, to one born of a virgin in a town called Bethlehem where the shepherds would come and the kings would come and Herod would kill the babies. And now on top of all of that, at that moment, the baby would be brought to Egypt to live in Egypt for a while. And you start bringing all these coincidences that have all come into play at the same time into the life of one child. And you find that the trail of clues was just about as obvious as it's brown and you put money in it. It should have been clear, and it could have been clear, and it must be clear to us, that the greatest gift of Christmas, the Messiah himself, Jesus, has been given as a gift to us, this wonderful gift. Well, you might say, well, that's fabulous, Pastor. It, I, I agree with you. Jesus was probably born on a date that we celebrate at Christmas. By the way, Jesus was probably not born December 25th. I hate to break that to you. That, that's a date that we've celebrated on, but that's probably not his actual birth date. But you might say to me, you know, Pastor, I do believe that there was probably a man <coughs> whose name was Jesus who lived and, and who who did good things. In fact, most everybody will acknowledge that there was a man named Jesus who lived and did great things. There's even a Jewish scholar named Josephus who had nothing to do with Christianity, but he was aware of this man named Jesus, and he wrote about him in his book of Antiquities. And he talked about him in a contemporary history of the time of Christ. No one of any real academic reputation disputes the reality of Jesus. But that doesn't mean that just because you believe that that happened, that he really is the perfect gift. So if it's my assertion that God intended for us to know not only the wonderful gift that Jesus is at Christmas, that Jesus is the Messiah, but what makes that a wonderful gift for you and I? How many of you ever got a gift that you really didn't like? And you, you open it up and you look at it and you pray, 
please let the tag be on it still so I can bring this back. Or, or, or Miss Barbara, you re-gift it, right? <laughs> Miss Barbara got the best gift at our Christmas party. You'll have to ask her about that. You have these beautiful, wonderful gifts, right? What makes them great? What is it that made Jesus such an important thing to us? Because quite frankly, if Jesus is just another man, and Jesus really isn't a Messiah, if Jesus really isn't the Son of God, if Jesus isn't who he claimed to be, then we're wasting our time, right? We are. We've wasted all of its time. We've wasted all of our money. All of this is for absolutely nothing. But if he is, well, then that changes everything. So what makes the gift really the perfect gift? That's the real question that we need to answer. So Isaiah chapter 9 says this. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us. Now we've established which child this is, which son we're talking about. We've narrowed it down to about the most distinct level we could possibly do. And this is what it says about that son. It says the government will rest upon his shoulders. His name will be called the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Eternal Father, the Prince of Peace. And there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness. From then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. So this little child, born in Bethlehem, from the uh, lineage of David, born to a virgin, when children were slaughtered, when shepherds came and wise men came, lived in Egypt. This little baby, the Scripture says, the Messiah, and all Jewish scholars will tell you that this passage talks about the Messiah that was to come. This passage tells us that this Messiah wasn't just some ordinary baby. It wasn't just some coincidence that a baby was born at this time that fulfilled everything. There was a purpose behind the gift that made it very valuable to us. And that purpose was the whole point of which Jesus came. You see, Jesus did not just come to give us a holiday so we get a two-day weekend. That's not what he did. Jesus didn't just come so that we could have some kind of a, a, a celebration and throw parties and exchange gifts. That's not why he came. Jesus came because mankind, apart from God, is separated from God as a result of this problem that we have called sin. You and I, on our own, choose to do things that are disobedience to God. Every single day. Brother Dennis, sometimes I wonder if there's a limit to how many times in one day I could sin. I haven't found it yet, Brother Jim. I'd like to limit it to none. But it seems to happen repeatedly over and over in my own life. And if it's true about me, I'm pretty sure that it's true about all of us. This reality is that we fight against this, this issue of the things that we know we should do or things we don't do and the things that we don't do or that, that we don't do, we know we should do. And we're, we're fighting continually. Which one is right? Which What should we do? And it's a battle within us and it's raging. And so Jesus becomes the most perfect gift for us. The reason why is, the, first of all, the love behind the gift. Brother Paul... You're a pretty nice guy. I like you. You're pretty kind. You're pretty kind. You're pretty calm. Most of the time, you, you kind of just lay back. That's his wife with the evil laugh, by the way. And, 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 you know, with all that to be said, to be true about you, Brother Paul, I don't think I'm going to give one of my boys for you. 
I don't think I don't think Taylor or Stephen or Luke or I don't think I'm going to give one of them up for you. I, I love you, but I don't know that I love us that much. How much love does it take as a parent? You saw Mary depicted by the woman in the video. How much love does it take as a parent to hear the truth that God was going to send a Messiah and place him in your home to raise and you're going to hold him in your arms and you're going to cradle him to your chest and you're going to change his diapers and you're going to love him and you're going to pick him up and teach him as he's walking and you're going to brush off his, his wounds and, and, well, they didn't have Band-Aids because they didn't come until 1929, but you're going to bandage up his wound. You're going to do all these things to take care of this little baby. You're going to be there every single moment that he has a need, but you're doing it completely and totally the entire time with an awareness that this child was given to save his people from their sins, which means, according to Scripture, Isaiah 53, he's going to die on a cross. What kind of love does that take? The love behind this gift is so much greater than anything else you've ever received. Somebody might have given you something really nice one time at Christmas. Maybe somebody gave you a car at Christmas. Maybe somebody gave you a house at Christmas. Maybe somebody gave you a big diamond ring or, or they, they asked you to marry. Whatever gift you've ever received at Christmas, it cannot compare to the love behind the gift of Jesus Christ. Nothing compares to that. And it's not just that God spontaneously thought, eh, I'll send my son. No, from the beginning he planned this. Back in Genesis we said, as he first interacted with man and his sin, that this was part of his plan from the beginning. What kind of love what, com what compares to that? The love behind this gift is more than you could ever imagine. But secondly, the value of the gift makes it a wonderful gift. Now, everybody likes to get nice things, right? I mean, like, you remember when you were a kid and you'd go to your grandmother's house or great-grandmother's house, she'd give you socks? <laughs> hey, I'm kinda, I kind of like socks now. You, know? you remember that? You'd be like, oh, he got a race car. I got socks. <laughs> You've been there, haven't you? Yeah, replaces the Holy Ones. Kid, you don't think about that, though. We like to value our gifts, and sometimes we even compare our gifts. We're like, I got this. What'd you get? You know? How do you put a value? How do you put a value on the gift of Jesus? Do you realize where you would be without him? Not only would we not be here in this room, most of us probably wouldn't even be here alive. The value of the gift of Jesus makes it the perfect gift. He is everything you need. He fulfills your need perfectly and completely. There is no sin that you've ever committed that his love and his grace and his forgiveness cannot cover. There is no distance that you've run away that he cannot bridge the gap to bring you back. There is nothing in your life that could possibly place you to a point as long as you're breathing and you have life in your lungs, you can cry out to the Lord and be saved. The value of this gift is so incredibly high. That makes it a wonderful gift. The love behind it, the value behind it, the necessity of it. I've got a lot of things at Christmas I could have done without. Just to be honest, they're nice to get sometimes. But my life wouldn't have been appreciably different had I not received that particular gift. 
You know, maybe it was socks, or maybe it was a bicycle like I shared last week, or maybe it was whatever the gift that you got last year. You, you probably remember what you got last year, but you probably could have lived your life without that gift this year, right? You probably wouldn't life or death kind of gift. You cannot live eternally without this gift. The necessity of this gift is this. If you die in this life without a relationship with Jesus Christ, you spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell that he prepared for those who were rebelled against him. That's truth. And it's not a popular thing to say today in this world. It's not a popular thing to say in our culture. But I want you to understand, without Jesus, you're doomed to hell for all of eternity. That is reality. The necessity of the gift makes it the most wonderful gift ever because you can't do without it. You might live this life as if there were no God, but when you get to the end of it, you will find out that you were wrong. You need Jesus. It makes him a perfect gift. Oh, and by the way, for those of you who are believers, one last thing this morning. This morning, Luke got a gift from someone, and in it was some candy. One of those things of candy were M&M's, chocolate, melt in your mouth and not in your hands. And it's empty. He has ate the whole thing of M&M's. Okay. Luke ate them all. He, he just proved my point for me. I couldn't have done, I couldn't even ask you to do that better, son. Why did Luke eat them all? Because he didn't want to have to share. Just be honest. Why didn't he want to have to share? Because if he shared, that meant he didn't get all of it himself. He had to do without some, right? One last thing for you this morning. This gift at Christmas, this most wonderful gift at Christmas, this most incredible gift at Christmas, no matter how much you share this gift, you never lose any. You don't have to worry about the M&M box going empty, Luke. Because in Christ, there's a never-ending supply of His grace and His love and His mercy. And when someone does you wrong and someone sins against you, you can show grace and mercy to them and it doesn't cost you any of your own. You don't lose with God because you shared what He gave you. You gain with God because you give away the hope that is within you. And the most wonderful gift of Christmas is a gift that is inexhaustible. And that is the gift of salvation that you can receive through Jesus Christ and you can share with others. And the more you give it away, the more you understand how much you have. It's the most weird concept I've ever encountered in my life. But every time I share with someone the gospel of Jesus Christ, I walk away with the realization that that gift that God gave me is even better than I knew before. And so if you don't have Jesus as your Lord and Savior, let me have some pleasure this morning by sharing with you that you can have Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You can have forgiveness. The most wonderful gift that you could possibly ever receive, you can have this morning if you're willing to call upon the name of the Lord. If you're willing to say, yes, Jesus, I will receive that gift. I will accept what you offer me. I desire that gift. I want it. Please let me have it. You can receive that gift this morning if you will call upon him. Here's how you do it. You come to the place in your life, and maybe you're there right now, where you realize you need God. Not you want, 
blessings. Not you want stuff, but you can't do without God. There is nothing in life that you need more in this moment than Jesus' forgiveness, and you recognize that. And if that's you this morning, then in just a moment when we sing this hymn of invitation, I want to invite you to come up and say, I'm ready to receive God's gift. That's all you have to say. I'll share with you how in Scripture says you can receive that gift. Believers, at Christmas, if this really is the season of giving, what better gift can you give than to tell the world that the most wonderful gift of all is Jesus? She's not here, so she probably won't be too upset with me sharing. But I visited with Miss Isla on Tuesday. She was still at Memorial Hospital. She's not there anymore. She's at Rosewood. She was still at Memorial Hospital. And before I could leave, I wanted to ask her, I said, Miss Isla, is it okay if I pray with you before I go? She said, yeah. And the um, nurse was in there, or the nurse's aide was in there, was about to do some test on her, some kind of a treatment. She said, do you mind if I stay? I said, no, 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 let's pray. And so I prayed for Miss Isla there in the hospital. And as I prayed for her, and I lifted her up before the Lord with that nurse in the room. We said amen, and Miss Isla turned and looked at her. Miss Isla with oxygen cannula on her nose, whose leg has been broken and had surgery, who's been fighting with problems with her lungs and, and other issues. Miss Isla, laying there in a hospital bed, turns directly to the nurse and asks her, do you know the gift of my Jesus? And in that moment, her gift got bigger than it had ever been before she was willing to share it freely. Now, if Miss Isla can do that from a hospital bed, what is God's expectation of you and I this week? That we would share, that we would share, that we would share. So this morning, would you respond? Maybe there's someone in particular that God's laid on your heart that you need to make sure they understand the real meaning behind Christmas. Would you make a commitment before God today that between now and December 25th, you're going to make it your point to be sure that you share with them the truth behind what Christ has done at, Christ, at Christmas. And maybe you're that one today that's never received his gift. I want to offer again to you. You can know peace and hope and forgiveness and love in Christ if you'll turn to him right now. Let's pray. Father, in this moment, I ask that you would take control of the rest of this service as you have already. And that, God, you would minister to the hearts of your people, that you would call them to yourself. And, Lord, I pray if there's one here today that's not accepted you as their Savior, that today they would turn their hearts to you. I pray for those who have that, Lord, you would give us a, a passion and a compassion for people. And that this great, wonderful gift of Jesus, as we unwrap all of the stuff, we'll get to the bottom line. It's that Jesus came that we might have life. Help us, Lord, to share that with others. In Jesus' name.